Okay, now we are going to be in lesson 16 today. We're going to deal with the prophet Jonah. And uh, so I want to just make note of something to you. So Jonah, if you notice its spelling, is J-O-N-A-H. If you go over a couple of books, so you're going to come to Micah as the next book, and then you're going to come to, uh, I think it's either the next book after that or the or right, right, yeah, it should be right after Micah. It's Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, okay? Now, the interesting thing is both of these prophets uh, were prophets to Nineveh, okay? They were prophets to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, okay? Uh, although with this prophet, we're going to see it's a message of repentance. With Nahum, when we get to his prophecy, it's going to be a prophecy of judgment for Nineveh, okay? So I just thought that was an interesting note. You can file that away with all the other useless information that you keep, and uh, you can say, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, but that's we're going to get into the historical material today. So first thing I want you to notice is the map, so the time period is during the time period when the Assyrian Empire is the most dominant force around. So when we talk about the Assyrian Empire, it at its height extended from Egypt all the way through what is now part of Turkey and Iran, down right down through Iraq here. Ur is in Iraq. Babylon, of course, is in Iraq, all the way down to here, Okay. And it was a brutal empire, and uh, so we are going to be covering that period. So let's talk about Jonah, okay? So Jonah prophesied during the 8th century B.C., which is pre-exilic. So this is a pre-exilic prophet. So this is before the Babylonians took uh, Israel into captivity to Babylon. So this prophecy is probably written around 780 B.C. You, you can't be for sure when this happened. There is no historical record of this revival that is recorded in Jonah. So it is very possible that it's written around 780 B.C. That's, of course, uh, what we're going to see here is, is, is that he prophesied during the days of Jeroboam II and his reign in Samaria which is the capital city of the northern kingdom, which is also called Samaria, which can also be called Israel. So that's about 793 to 753 B.C., okay? Now, Jonah is mentioned in one other book of the Bible, okay? He is mentioned by name in 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 27. Now, of course, when they're when they're bringing this up, it's while they're discussing Jeroboam, and they mentioned that Jonah here made a prophecy. Uh, he prophesied concerning the military successes of the northern kingdom. So he prophesied about the successes that their military would have. And uh, so the Assyrian Empire, with its capital Nineveh, was the dominant military power at the time, okay? Now, 
when we talk about them being the dominant military power, they are the major threat to the northern kingdom and even to the southern kingdom. Be honest with you, they're the major threat to everybody, okay? And they are known for being brutal. Whenever they would capture anywhere, whether they people gave up or whether they were defeated, they were brutal. And uh, maybe a little bit less brutal if you gave up compared to if you fought against them. They just were brutal. So you knew that if this power was coming and it was going to destroy an area, they were going to be brutal with you. These people are brutal people. And so this fits into the whole issue when we get into the prophecy. Because Does everybody know the story of Jonah? Jonah's told to go to Nineveh. What does he decide to do? Run from God, yes. And where does he try to run to? Well, he doesn't try to run there. He takes a ship. And while he's on a ship, what happens? Yeah, a big storm comes up. They throw him up overseas. Then what? He swims back to Israel? Well, inside the belly of a whale, right? Okay. And then, of course, something, obviously it must have been, uh, he he uh, is thrown up on the shore and he goes to Nineveh. You know what I'm saying? And the rest is history, okay? The rest is biblical history and so forth. So, so this is where he's at. He, he's not wanting to go to Nineveh because he wants them destroyed because they are the enemy of Israel, okay? So let's talk about the prophet for a second, okay? So anybody got a clue what his name? Don't look at your paper. I forgot I gave you all a paper. Jonah, every, I told you, every, every Hebrew name has a meaning. So let me just tell you, Jonah means dove. Now, is that ironic to you? When you consider the character of Jonah from the story, when you read it, does he seem like a dove to you? Oh, you're Jonah. Okay, well, we're not talking about your Jonah, okay? <laughs> your Jonah's quiet, too. I doubt this one was quiet, okay? So, uh, does he seem like a dove to you? Goes through a city, pronounces that in three days they're going to be overthrown, God's going to bring judgment. Oh, I think we do, Gene. When we go through it, he sits outside of the city waiting for God's brimstone to fall down on the place and destroy it. Uh, when you're sitting out there and then you're complaining because it's hot and you're not going to survive in the heat because you're waiting for God to destroy a place, and then when the, it doesn't happen, you're complaining, and God, of course, provides shade for you with a plant. The plant dies, and then you're complaining about the plant dying, but the city isn't destroyed. Does that sound like a dove to you? No, no, it doesn't, okay? It sounds like a harsh character. So this name I thought was very interesting, okay? Now, he was from the northern kingdom in the town gath Hepfer, in the tribe of Zebulun. So in the very far part of Israel, which is where the ten tribes would be, this is where he's from. So he is a pre-exilic prophet who is from the northern kingdom, okay? So he's from the northern kingdom. 
And he is one of four Old Testament prophets who were referred to by Christ by name. Jesus refers to only four Old Testament prophets by name. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Jonah. Okay? So that's pretty significant because there are a lot of other prophets that are mentioned. But Jesus mentions this one, Jonah, as one of four specific prophets that he mentions. Okay? Now, do you remember why Jesus mentions Jonah by name? Do you remember what Jesus was talking about? He talks about Jonah being in the belly of the whale for what? Three days. And so therefore he was going to be, basically he's referring to his death for three days. Just as Jonah, so will I, you know what I'm saying? He was referring to the fact that he would only be dead three days. But of course, the disciples had no clue what he was talking about, okay? They had no clue whatsoever, now, uh, his ministry was primarily to the northern kingdom. We don't have any record or any, there isn't an in the biblical record. Uh, there is no tradition of him going to the southern kingdom of Judah. All right? So he primarily ministered to the northern kingdom. I've already mentioned to you that he was mentioned in, 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 in Kings. And uh, so he's primarily a prophet to the northern kingdom. Now, he was sent to prophesy to Nineveh, okay? He was sent to prophesy to Nineveh. Now, when you read the passage in that he doesn't want to do that, can you, can you relate to that? Yeah. That would be like if we, in our Easter service today, God came upon you and said, I want you to get on the next plane to Moscow, and I want you to be a prophet there. Or better yet, I want you to go to Pyongyang in, in North Korea and prophesy there and bring call down judgment there. How many of you would be willing to do that if God told you to do that? It'd be like a death sentence, so you wouldn't even consider it, right? Yeah, you might also be thinking, oh, Buck might be hungry. Where'd that come from? I can't wait to get home and have Easter dinner. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that'll pass with, with it, it must be my blood sugar's low. I'm thinking crazy. You know what I'm saying? So we, So when you look at how Jonah is reacting, he's reacting naturally, and his running is a natural thing, right? He's fleeing in the exact opposite direction. And we'll talk about that next week when we get into his deciding to run. So he's supposed to prophesy to the city of Nineveh, who, by the way, remember, he's a Jew now. Do the Jews have anything to do with people who are non-Jewish? Why? They weren't supposed to. Do they have the same dietary habits? Unclean, yes. Yeah, and so their food is unclean. So you're being told to go to this city, prophesy to people who are the enemies of the nation you're from. It's not a good thing, is it? And that's what his ministry was to. It was to Nineveh, okay? 
So let's talk about, um, anybody got any thought closing before I move on to the next section? We talk about the purpose and the themes of the book. Okay. Huh? Uh, you know, how he was told by the Lord? No, it doesn't say that. I mean, we can look here. It just says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Is the very first, very first line of verse one. It came to Jonah telling him what to do. Now, how that happened? Have you noticed that scripture doesn't tell you how those happen? And I think that's good so nobody can say this is how God operates all the time. Okay? But what were you going to say, Bruce? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And and we're going to bring that up here in a minute. That's exactly right. So let's talk about the book of Jonah is not just a historical record of his ministry to Nineveh. So this book isn't just just a story, okay? I know we make it into a story. I mean, we have in the back a DVD on Jonah from VeggieTales, which I like VeggieTales, okay? Uh, forever a VeggieTale fan, you know? And, and of course, when you read this past, when you read these four chapters, you're not going to find the pirates who don't do anything, okay? So that's not in there. But the reality is, this is more than just a historical record. This is a book of prophecy. And God is trying to convey a message, okay? So next thing I want you to see here, the book conveys God's concern f for the Gentile people. All right, now stop. Up to this point, usually when God is, I mean, you might have references to when the Messiah comes about it being available to Gentile people. But for the most part, most of the prophets have taught, brought nothing but judgment on who? Gentiles. Could you, would you discern from those other prophets that God has a heart for the Gentile people? No. But then when you come to this book, God is interested in an entire city of Gentile people who are known for their brutality. And he's concerned about them what? Being right with him. So he gives them the opportunity to repentance. So this book conveys that God's concern for the Gentile people. The next thing is the point that Bruce was making. This book very clearly shows God's sovereignty in accomplishing his will. So the prophet says, I'm out of here. I'm headed to Tarshish. You know? Which, by the way, can I tell you where Tarshish was? Spain. It was a coastal area of Spain. So you're talking about taking a ship all the way over there. You're talking about that's the farthest part of the known world at that time. Do you understand? The farthest part from the known world. Like, I'm headed there. 
Okay, but what does the book convey? God says, I want you to go here. You're the man. And what does he do? He brings them there. Yeah, brings them there. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that. There have been numbers of things through the years that I felt God was telling me to do, and and then I didn't want to do them. And, uh, you know, in fact, there were times when I even started to do what he told me, and I just said, I'm done. I'm not going any further with this. But God always, in his sovereignty, brought me to follow through what he told me to do. Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? So God is the one who's in control. Did you know what I'm saying? God's in control. And I think Bruce's point earlier was an excellent point. Now, here's what I want you to see that is ironic about this book. Okay, so I want you to think for a moment. We've already looked at a lot of different prophets. Joel, Amos, so forth. All these different promise, prophets. How did the people respond to them? How did the Jewish people respond to the prophets? Didn't pay any attention or they killed them? Would you say there was no response, right? This book, (laughs) this book is interesting because there is a response. It records a response. And here's it. The Gentile response to the prophet is contrasted to Israel's lack of response to the prophet. This, this is what's wild. So, okay, let's put it in terms of the unbeliever's response to the prophet is contrasted to God's people not responding to the prophet. Do you, do you see the point here? These Gentile, heathen, pagan, far from God people headed to hell respond to the call of the prophet, but then when the prophet's back in his own country and as well as the other prophets, nobody is what? Listening to them, they're killing them, they're rejecting them. This is the contrast this book is bringing out. Isn't that ironic? That's what this prophecy is. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is more than just a historical account. It's actually a rebuke, okay? A rebuke. Now, what are some lessons from Jonah? Okay. Lessons from Jonah. Number one, national sin demands national repentance. National sin demands national repentance. Because he goes and he's pronouncing judgment on Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, telling them that they need to repent for their sins. And they do. Now, let me just go ahead and be honest with you. This isn't normal. This is not the normal response. Okay? But the book conveys that if there is going to be a an issue of national sin, it has to be dealt with on a national level of repentance. And outside of this little story, I don't know of any nation that's done that, just to be honest with you. No nation is willing to acknowledge its sins, period. They'll make excuses for why it happened, or they'll change the history books to convey their perspective on it. Do you understand? So this book is saying national sin demands national repentance. Here's one, okay, big lesson. It has implications for you and I. One cannot run from God and his purpose for your life. 
You can't run away from it. You can't run away from God's direction and purpose for your life. Period. If he has something that he wants you to do, you're going to do it. Now, how can you say that, George? Well, okay, let's go over to the New Testament book, Ephesians, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, after telling us about salvation, for by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. He then gets to verse 10. And here's what he says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. God has things that he wants to accomplish in your life. Now, let me, some of you will say, yeah, I don't know if I believe that, George, because I'm, I'm not Billy Graham or the late Billy Graham. I'm not like some of these other preachers or teachers. No, 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 no. You, you, you've got a small view of what God wants to accomplish in life. God wants you to live out your life where he puts you and live it out there to accomplish the purposes that he wants to accomplish in your life where you're at. And his plan includes your mess-ups. Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he'll not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. God's going to accomplish what he wants to do. So there's no sense running away from him. Do do, do you understand what I'm saying? There's no sense. In fact, his plan includes you running away from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's plan included. I mean, it's not like he wasn't aware. Oh, did they do that? I couldn't believe that they did that. I didn't count on that. Can you see God saying that? No. No, not at all. And so the reality is, is one can't run away from God and his purpose for your life. Here's the final thing I want you to see here about a lesson. And that is God is able to use all incidents in the life of his servants for their good and his glory. God can use all the incidents in your life for your good and for his glory. Now, we struggle with that one, don't we? Do we struggle with this this point I'm making here? Why, Why do we struggle? All right, now say that again, Tim. Yeah, sometimes we don't look at it as being good, and so we look at it as in the wrong point of view. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, you know, I think about okay. So Lori and I, April first was the the official day of my twenty second year here. Okay, so I've been pastor here twenty second years. I pastored another church before this, from nineteen ninety five to nineteen ninety nine. I was there just a little over four years. Okay, that church was. That was probably the most difficult time in my life, okay? And uh, 
yeah, I've, I've expressed that to you before. Now, I was thinking about this the other day because I was having some sort of conversation with somebody and uh, I, I was thinking about that and I thought, yeah, but I had to go through that. Would I want to go through it again? Just go ahead and shoot me. I don't want to go through that again, okay? I, I don't want to go through that experience again. I don't want to put my family through that. I don't want to go through that again. But... <clears throat> Now, 20-some years later, I, I'm realizing I am who I am today because I went through that. Did you understand what I'm saying? I am who I am today because I went through that. And that experience helped me to what? Pastor this church. Did you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and, and to get the snot kicked out of you somewhere is sometimes good. Did you know what I'm saying? To get the youthful, uh, ex grandiose ideas of what life's supposed to be, sometimes you need to realize that that's not what it is. And so sometimes you go through things realizing that it's not good. And so God used that to make me who I am today. Now, am I still a work in progress? Oh, you better believe it. And so are you. Did you understand what I'm saying? When will the work stop, George? When you go to be with Jesus, okay? So there is hope for us when we go to be with Jesus, okay? But the point is, God is going to accomplish what he wants because he's going to do it for your good, which doesn't mean everything's going to work out good, and for his glory. Do you understand? We like to take the verses like, Romans chapter 8, oh, we know that all things work together for the good of them who are called. And we like to claim that as a promise that I'm going to get out on the other end of my problem here and everything's going to be sweet. Then you find out that it isn't. But that still doesn't mean that God doesn't use that ultimately for your good. Do you understand? It's the difference between a poplar tree and an oak. Do you know what the difference between a poplar and an oak is? How fast does it take you to grow a poplar tree? What's that, Denny? You're the tree guy. Quicker? But an oak, it takes what? All right, which is the better wood? You get the more money for the oak, right? Yeah, your rings are closer, better, better grade of wood. Now, poplar, how cheap is it? It depends on where you buy it, but it's cheap wood, okay? Do you know what I'm saying? I, you know, you don't hear people making poplar desks. They want an oak desk, right? Do you know what I'm saying? And so what's, what God is doing with you is this. He's making you into an oak. Yes. Yes, it makes you stronger. We may realize it 20 years later, but I still don't realize it right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Gene, you're a saint because I don't appreciate the trials I go through right now. So, Oh, I know I need to, but... <laughs> okay, yeah, I understand, but I, I guess I'm not mature enough yet, okay? So, okay, so... Okay, so if you think about this, this book, of all the Old Testament prophets, I think we resonate with this book more 
than any of the other prophets. Why? Because it provides us with hope that even though he's got a chosen people, he's still concerned for who? Gentiles, right? And that's an awesome thing to know because later on when Jesus comes, he just doesn't die for the Jews only. He dies for who? You and I, Gentiles, right? Because unless you're of Jewish descent here, all of us are Gentiles, right? Okay, so that's one of the powerful things about this book is I think we relate to it because of the message. I think we relate to Jonah because sometimes we don't want to do what God tells us to do. Isn't that true? You know, especially when we know that we need to. But it also conveys what? God's going to accomplish his purpose, right? He's sovereign, okay? He's sovereign. And uh, so these are the things that we see here, okay? Okay.